You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What is going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield. And today I'm here to talk about why I am a conservative. So this is going to be a fun one. Very excited to share this with you today. Um, And before I get started, I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet, sign up for the loop from Catholic Vote. So I know some people who work for Catholic Vote, some of my favorite people in the world, um, and I love Catholic Vote. And so I'm going to put a link in the description for this one to sign up for that. The loop is how you stay in the loop, right? So it's it's a daily email that I really love because it gives you kind of highlights of current events. And so if I'm kind of busy or if I don't feel like going super deep into current events and things that are happening, both in the church and in the political world, I just give the quick scroll of the loop and it'll give you kind of a little paragraph or a few sentences under each one. And you can click on links and actually go through and read longer articles of it as well. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't, to check out The Loop. So I'm going to have a lot of resources and things I'm going to recommend throughout the podcast today. Um, But that's the first one I want to start with. So why am I a conservative? Why is Nathan Crankfield a conservative? This is a great question. So if you know, I've shared this story many times before, a little bit about my background, is that I was uh, raised in a home that was both uh, conservative and liberal in a sense. So my mom was always a registered Republican. My dad is always a registered Democrat. Um, Both of them did a decent job, I think, of like educating themselves on like the other side's view on things. Like we watched a decent bit of CNN and Fox News. My dad always listened to Rush Limbaugh to try to like kind of balance it out and see the conservative perspective on a lot of things. And so, um, yeah, so that was kind of my upbringing and then my families, as I, I've said before, too. So my my white family is from the country, rural areas, uh, definitely what you would consider Trump country. Uh, you know, when you get up there <laughs> into, into Perry County, Pennsylvania um, nowadays, uh, back then it was just, you know, still pretty conservative for sure. Um, and I think back then had a lot of more like the negative stereotypes of conservatism, like definitely was more racist in the 90s than the city was. Um, my dad grew up in the inner city, uh, very diverse areas in Harrisburg, uh, with, you know, about around a lot of black and brown people, um, decent amount of white people, though. So I'm going to share some of their perspectives on things, too, especially my dad's, because we've 
debated and discussed politics a decent bit, not a ton, um, but definitely more in my adulthood, uh, like a, a thousand percent more in my adulthood than we did in my childhood, almost never did in my childhood. So in my home, um, you know, I've had family members tell me specifically that you never talk about politics or religion. Now, if you know me and you listen to the podcast, uh, that's largely what I like to talk about, right? It's part of why we're here. Um, and what we talk about often is, is faith and politics. And so um, it's kind of interesting, you know, that I came and, and found that to be such a, a place of interest for me or an area of interest for me because I was raised in, in really both sides of the family, really never talked about faith, religion, or politics. And obviously, I think there's a lot of issues with that based on my approach. Obviously, I talk about it a ton. And I don't just talk about it on the podcast. I mean, I like to have conversations. Emily and I talk about this stuff a lot. Obviously, we talk about our faith together, um, but family members, friends, like these are the conversations I like to have. And part of the reason of that is because I just think that it's good to have conversations that matter, right? I think so often in today's world, people don't want to talk about things that really matter because they can be divisive or because if you get persuaded, you might have to change your ways or change how you live and all types of things like that, right? And so I think that that's important to subject yourself to different opinions to really not only that, but also like when you talk about these things, you also see holes in your own logic, right? And you get to see problems in uh, your own beliefs. And so that's the other thing I think is really important about having these conversations with people to be able to say, hey, you know, like we should, uh, to be able to express yourself. I, I, I said this uh, on, on another podcast with a friend of mine's coming out uh, a while a while after this one. Um, but I talked about, I was like, man, you know, one of the, my favorite things about having a podcast, one of my favorite things about podcasting, which is why I think another reason why I do it, even if there was 10 people listening, is how I heard Jordan Peterson say this once is how much when you give talks, you podcast, you write, like you really get to, you're just thinking out loud, right? That's pretty much all I'm doing and how much more I've been able to work through so many of my beliefs and ideas because of podcasting, because of coming on here with brief outlines like I am today and really just talking through my life, talking through my beliefs, talking through my, my, you know, the way my beliefs have evolved or devolved or changed over time, you know? And that's one thing that I'm really proud of um, is, is that I, I have changed a lot of my views and beliefs over time and they continue to grow and evolve and change as I learn more and more about different topics. And I think that's good for everybody. I don't think it means you need to switch parties at some point in your life, right? That would be pretty extreme. But I do think that if you've never changed your mind on any topic, like I'm even weary of conservatives and Republicans who have never changed, like they've never changed their mind. They just believe everything that they, their parents believed, never questioned or doubted anything. And you see this sometimes with like conservative Catholics where it's like you just, you just took everything for granted and they're not really the best like spokespeople or evangelists, uh, whether it be for the faith or for uh, conservative ideas. And so I think it's good to question and to doubt and to push into some of those things, both in your faith and in your views on life. And so I think that's really important. Um, you know, I registered as a Democrat when I turned 18. I didn't vote until I was, how old was I last year? In last year's election, 27 was the first time I voted. And so I'll explain all of that and why that is. But I really feel like my journey um, you know, there's, there's this quote, I, I kind of did this when I shared my Why Am I Catholic podcast, just kind of share a quote at the beginning that might piss some people off. 
So I'm going to do that again with this one because this quote really stuck out to me. I, I can never remember where I heard it. And I feel like everybody I share it with has never heard it before, which is really funny. But I, I feel like it had to come from like a speech or, or a book or something like that. But the quote says, if you're young and conservative, you don't have a heart. If you're old and liberal, you don't have a brain. And it's amazing to me how much more offended liberals get at that. Uh, or at least I kind of like feel like they do. But it's pretty bad to not have a heart too, right? And so that's the need for like compassionate conservatism. And this is why I think that the best place that I found myself being is, is being a religious conservative. So being somebody who's been on mission trips, somebody who volunteers, being somebody who um, you know, has compassion for people, who sees the actual plights of human beings. Because there's no doubt that those are the two ways, uh, the, the two big errors that I think that both sides really fall into. And I've seen that coming from somebody from both, like who's been on both sides, right? So I've seen the, the ups and downs from really from the inside, really like held these beliefs like in my heart and in my mind. And so I, I come to see that and I have discussions with a lot of people on both sides. And I don't, I don't agree. And, I, and this is why I don't like call myself like an ardent Republican because, and maybe I'll get into that more later. Um, yeah, let me just jot that down so I can bring that up later. But I don't want to go too, too deep off, uh, off the rails just yet. So let's get back to business. So really, one of the things that I was growing up, you know, I talk about this kind of in my, my faith testimony is I kind of lived the life of a uh, what I felt was almost like a stereotypical what people expected of like a young black male athlete, right? And so that's why I started getting into, you know, the rap lifestyle, hip hop lifestyle, of like hookup culture and drinking drugs, things like that. Um, you know, kind of like being kind of disobedient, getting in trouble. And the other thing that comes along with that too, now obviously these are stereotypes and this is bad, right? This is flawed logic, but I was 14, so cut me a little slack. And these are the expectations that I feel like a lot of people, especially like the early 2000s and things like that had for people like me coming from a, a, a broken home or somewhat broken home, you know, kind of going back and forth between that. And uh, the one of the other assumptions is that you're a Democrat, right? So black people are Democrats, white people are Republicans. I kind of bought that as well. I feel like you hear that on every, uh, I don't know if conversion story is the right way to say it, but every journey from the left to the right for a black person, whether it's Candace Owens, Brandon Tatum, Thomas Sowell, uh, we almost, you almost always hear them say that, that you, you think that as a kid, as a teenager, that black people are Democrats, white people are Republicans. And if you are black, you're conditioned to really think that those two people are against each other. Now, I've talked about this in my letters, Black and White Like Me, where I talked about racism, BLM, and stuff like that in the summer of 2020, that it was always easier for me to kind of see some, even though we had a, you know, some turbulence in, in the casa at the home, um, I could still see some more harmony between the races because I like that it existed within me, right? So I'm Black and White, I'm mixed. And, uh, you know, seeing my Black and White mother, we still had a lot of great times and memories and stuff together as a family. And so I got to see them like not all black people are bad. Not all white people are bad. Not all of them hate each other uh, or else I wouldn't exist. Right. But still, as I grew up, I kind of adopted a lot of these kind of beliefs that are just kind of pushed on you. And so I started blaming a lot of my life's problems on racism. And even going back to like my issues with my family and all this stuff, like you, it's so easy. I feel like you get so brainwashed to think that all of it just like stems back to slavery. And I think that I really adopted that and believe that as a teenager that, you know, 
my dad's dad was a horrible man. And I'm like, it's probably because his dad was probably awful and his dad was probably a slave or, or his grandfather was a slave. And, and I bet like slavery really did a number on the family. And that's why we have the problems we have today. And there's a lot of flaws and issues with that. And I, I recognize that, but that was kind of where I was at. So I'm just, I'm just talking through my kind of logic that I had as a teenager. And so, man, I mean, I got in a decent bit of trouble in like middle school, but when I got into high school, I got 10, I think it was 10 detentions my freshman year. 11 detentions my sophomore year and I got suspended once sophomore year in school suspension for cheating on a Spanish test. She got us good, man. She like, she like always gave us the same test. And then she kind of had a hint or a, a suspicion that we were cheating. And so she gave out like every other test was different and we never noticed because they looked identical. Uh, Mrs. Spear, I think was her name. Spears Spear. Dude, she got us good, man. And we just got rocked. And I remember going to the, the principal's office and they tried to give me a snitch on my boy, uh, my boy, Danny, who was, who was lending me the answers. We were uh, co-conspirating. Is that the word? We're working together in layman's terms. And, uh, and man, they were they were grilling me. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a savage at this point in my life. So I'm just standing cold. They're like, did he know? And they knew that he knew. But all they needed me to do was say that he knew and he was going to get in trouble. They were getting everybody in the class because I think it was like 12 of us got in trouble for this, 10 of us. And everybody else snitched on each other. And I was like, I stand to benefit nothing from telling you that Danny knew other than being honest, which wasn't really a value of mine at the time. And so I'm like, I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to say that he didn't know. And I just cheated off his answers. Um, but man, Danny was hooking it up because your boy was not studying Spanish, which is really funny because I almost minored in Spanish in college. I ended up loving it. Really wish that I was fluent in Spanish then and now. Uh, if only I'd listened and paid more attention and done my homework instead of cheating on, on the test. So, yeah, of course, my cheating days didn't end then. But, uh, you know, sophomore year, I also started smoking weed and getting into that kind of stuff, having weed in school. Luckily, I never got caught with any of that. I got caught with weed at home once. But I was just kind of blaming everything was, you know, getting detentions and acting out. And I was I was being an asshole. Um, for lack of a better term, as, as in school, right? Like I was just being a jackass and everything I did. I was obnoxious. I uh, wanted a lot of attention. Things weren't great at home. And I was just kind of, you know, looking for a lot of attention and that kind of stuff and, and kind of lacking guidance and really, really kind of living out this cowboy phase of my life, which did have its perks. And I think there's some goodness to it. And, and goodness, I think there's a dangerous line for kids when we're raising boys, especially to make them follow all the rules all the time. I think it's how you get nice guys. Um, and nice guys suck. So I'm glad that I don't suck now. Uh, but at the same time, I could have been a little bit less, uh, rowdy, if you will, could have taken, could have taken it down from like a nine to a, to a four, you know, maybe three detentions, not 11 and a suspension and getting caught with weed at home. It was a little much, it was a little much, uh, definitely, definitely, uh, gave my mother some great hairs. Uh, during those those wonderful years of my life. So blaming a lot of that stuff though, man. I was I was being I was just being bad in, in school and in class and cheating and not doing my homework and all kinds of stuff. My grades really never got too bad because I cheated a lot. So I kind of kept the grades decently high. Uh, but I started dropping out of like honors classes and academic classes, you know, like the middle uh classes and um yeah, just I was like my my teachers are racist, like it's just because I'm black. It's and we, we kind of started that, me and a friend of mine, when we were in middle school, kind of joking around 
we would say things were racist all the time, like in a funny way, but then it kind of like started to settle in because it just became such like a big thing, um, you know, in the 2000s kind of, you know, in the, the end of the 2000s wasn't too big on it, but then like the next decade was when things really tore up. And so you see like the Obama election was a big thing for me in 08. And I was a massive Obama fan. And I think one of the things that hit me with that, that I think I, I don't really know how I feel about right now is I remember some like commentator, it was like a black like political commentator or somebody at the time said, this is a really big deal for us because for most boys, for most black men, black boys in the country, when you tell them as a kid, which most parents tell their kids, like you can do anything you want to do when you grow up, you can be anything. When you don't get to see somebody like you being anything, right? So if you never see black doctors, if you don't see black teachers, if you don't see black lawyers, and most importantly, at that time, we never had a black president, um, it feels limited, right? Like it feels like that's not true. And I think it's hard for parents to say that when they feel like maybe, you know, that's maybe out of the realm, right? So a lot of like little boys or girls want to be president when they grow up. And obviously we've never had a female president. So I can see women taking that same stance. And obviously there's, there's beauty in being a trailblazer, right? And being a, um, a front runner and being the first person to do something is awesome, but there's still, it's still a lot harder to do it. Right. There's a reason why after uh, what was his name? Uh, Robert Bannon or something like that. Who's the first person to run the four minute mile. Somebody broke the four minute mile. Then it happened like 10 times in the next year or something like that. Right. So after it happens, it's like kind of opens the, the floodgates and, and people feel more, uh, able to accomplish things. And so I think there was something to that right now. I am a 0% Obama fan in present day, but I do think that, and I don't know enough about it to really have a super strong opinion, but I do think that in 2000, I do know for a fact that in 2008, Obama was not the same person that he is today. And his stances were not the same. Right. And I think he had a beautiful story of what he came from and how he, he got to where he was being a Senator um, becoming president is a pretty cool success story. Uh, I don't know what year or at point or who corrupted him, but I know we lost my man at some point, uh, which was tragic because the, the, his, his dialogue, his uh, rhetoric just utterly changed between the two elections between 08 and 12. Um, and then I think it was the next year in 2013, if I'm not mistaken, that BLM was founded and that's when race really took off and, and really came back center stage. But in early uh, in 2008 or 2007, when he was running, like, uh, or 2008, I think it was an interview. I, I've seen the footage of this interview that Larry Elder references a lot, where he says Obama was asked, do you think that race, if you don't win the election, do you think that race will have played a large role in you not winning? And he says, no, I don't think so. He said, I think we've made a lot of progress, um, you know, in the last 40 uh, to 50 years uh, as a country. And I don't think that race will play a major role in this election. Uh, I just I just watched a video on Instagram too the other day from like 2006 of Joe Biden talking about how ridiculous the idea of like legalizing gay marriage is. Um, Obama ran on on not supporting gay marriage in 2008 as well. So things have changed immensely since then. Right. And so I always think that's important to recognize as well. So being a Democrat in 2008 is not the same as being a, a Democrat in 2021. And so I was really pro Obama, though. Like, I mean, I had like pictures of him in my locker. I wore like all this Obama stuff the day after he got elected, I stayed up watching the election, woke my parents up to tell them like I was hype. Right. And my mom really never said anything. She never said like what she disagreed with him on or any of that kind of stuff. Like, I don't, I don't know who she voted for. She voted for, uh, um, man, I am like dumb today. 
John, John McCain, excuse me, man, I couldn't think of it. I don't know what's wrong with my brain today, but John McCain. And I, I think she did, but yeah, we never really talked about like why we disagreed. And so like at that point in my life, I kind of had like a, as I was going through high school, for some reason, I just remember always feeling like the big three, like political topics of that time in my mind as a teenager, which probably were not representative of, of the country at large was like abortion, gay marriage, and the death penalty. And those are like the three big things to me that I was like trying to figure out, like, what is my stance on these three things? Now, one thing that the Democrats really got me on is I was always very ardently against the death penalty. And that was only cemented further when I went to the Mount um, in 2011, right? Um, I was always pro-life, but not like ardently pro-life. I was like pretty strongly pro-life, kind of in the camp of like, if you don't like abortion, don't get one, but like really kind of like, no, I think it should be illegal, but gay marriage was a tough one for me, man. Gay marriage was a tough one. Cause I was like, I know from the church, you know, I was Catholic and I'm like, I became Catholic when I was 13. So I'm like, I know the church has that it's, it's a sin. It's not good. But I'm like, how as an American, do you make the argument for not having, uh, you know, you hear the, the, in every, in each one of those, uh, topics, you always hear the, the saddest story they can come up with. Right. And so there are some sad stories in each one of they're difficult decisions, I think, all three of those um, for people to make. And the sad story that you hear all the time then, and I think, yeah, I mean, when they were pushing for it was like these these people, men or women who have spent their men with men and women with women who have spent like all of their lives together that can't like visit each other in the hospital or families cut them out and they don't get to keep any other things. Like there was this kind of like these like end of life issues um, with gay marriage and, and like civil unions and stuff that my teenage brain like really thought was hard to kind of work out. And so I have a lot of stances and views on that stuff now, which I can probably do a whole other podcast on. Um, but I had a deep respect for police and military. So from the time I was 10, I wanted to be on a SWAT team. And I wanted to be in the military. My mom uh, worked in law enforcement. And so we got, came into contact with a lot of probation officers, police officers. I have a, a cousin of mine, a black cousin of mine, who's a police officer. He's a captain now um, in Harrisburg, which is awesome. And so I had that as well. So I went to the Mount. I had my conversion while I was there, really started to grow deeper in my faith. As I mentioned, why my Catholic episode, I really started to question everything. Um, even as I was going deeper into my faith, I wanted to learn more about Methodist, Baptist, uh, Lutherans, um, Islam, right? Like Hindus, Buddhists. Like I want to learn about everything so I could really know why I am what I am. And so I think that little bit of curiosity really carried me a long way in this journey of uh, this political journey. So started doing ROTC that obviously like starts to grow more and more um, just patriotism, right? Like as you join the military, you wear that flag on your shoulder, like you, you, you seldom become less of a patriot, right? Um, and so that's a really interesting experience of just becoming more and more of a patriot while also kind of feeling like the country is racist. Um, and then you see like BLM starts coming alive, right? During my college years. And so at that point, like I'm arguing with a lot of my friends uh, who are conservative at college, like defending like liberal viewpoints, right? Especially around race and poverty, um, welfare, things like that, right? And I was a criminal justice major in college, which was basically being a sociology major, just a slight difference. And so I took a lot of sociology classes. One of the strongest leftists I've ever known, I had to take three of his classes. Um, uh, yeah, Dr. Hansen. And I had to take three of his classes and my man was wild left, like left field, deep left field. 
like at the foul at the intersection of like the the fence and the foul the foul line right um like that deep left and he was from norway i want to say and so he uh we had some interesting classes together and by the time i was a senior i actually disagreed with him on a decent amount of things but it was really kind of what started for me like blm actually was one of the things that made me less uh made me question stuff and made me question both sides and i feel like i had never really questioned the left before but this is where my friction really began i think and the seeds were starting to be planted because i i realized well i realized how dumb a lot of people are on both sides but one thing i realized was how biased everybody was and so i had this interesting combination of being black and white being uh, an ROTC student who is a criminal justice major, basically planning to be a police officer, who had this kind of like bias towards thinking that most things and people were racist and uh, witnessing all of this from college, right? So like I started to see that like, it was like every time one of these cases comes up, both sides just rush to their corners and start barking their viewpoints of why they're right. And I started to see that people were doing that even before verdicts or not even verdicts, but the facts of the case. Like, I mean, as soon as a white police officer killed a black person, it was like every both sides just immediately rushed. And I was like, how how do you know yet, though? You know, like I was like 20 at this point, 19, 20 years old. And I'm like, but how do you know? Like, how do you know? You don't know anything about what happened. And I'm telling you on both sides, the conservatives, the Republicans would rush and defend the police officer. The Democrats would rush and defend the, the, the person who had been killed. And it's like, they're not all the same, right? I, I said this all over and over again. If you look into the facts of the Ahmaud Arbery case, you look into the facts of the Mike Brown case, like the, they're not the same. And BLM lists them all in the same the same list. I'm always amazed. That, I've said this, I think, a thousand times, but I'm always amazed that a mild robbery doesn't get more attention versus somebody like Mike Brown, who's always referenced when it's like that case or even a George Floyd. Like these things are there's a lot of gray in, in the Mike Brown and George Floyd cases that I don't think exist in the mild robbery case who was, I think, killed by people because he was black. Like, I think he was like, I think that was actually like somewhat racially motivated from what you can tell about it. It was definitely a racial profiling. And then they killed him for no reason. Like, I mean, that was some crazy shit, but yeah, people put them all into the same camp. And I was like, this doesn't really make a lot of sense. So that was kind of where my question marks. I started kind of question things that I didn't really like go too deep into like political topics and things like that. When active duty in the military really focused on my faith during these years, trying to grow and evangelize, um, you know, my roommate, uh, Bob, the first, we lived together the first two years, basically active duty. And, uh, I believe he was a political science major at Princeton. And so we talked a lot about different topics and things like that, but not, not too, too much. We talked a lot about faith stuff and just life. Um, but occasionally political things would come up and we'd agree or disagree and, and whatever. Um, and then the 2016 election came around. I still didn't vote. I had some random, I don't know why I did this. I don't necessarily support it, but, um, some random, like military, like mentor or teacher at some point told me that he doesn't vote in presidential elections because they're basically our commander in chief and doesn't feel like you should vote for your boss and get like too tangled up in that stuff. Um, because either way you have to like follow the orders. Right. And I was like, okay, I can kind of see that looking back. I don't think that that's the way I would go now, 
But at that time, I kind of believed that. And I just kind of like disassociated myself from like federal politics. Um, and but what I did know is I did not like Hillary Clinton. And even though I felt like Donald Trump was a complete ass clown in 2016, as, as most of us did, as most of us did in 2016, 2015, if you didn't like something might be wrong with you, if you did not think that Donald Trump was an actual joke at that time, um, not a total joke as a human being, but a joke of a presidential candidate. Um, yeah, but the only person I think worse than him in the world at that point for president was Hillary. And I think I despised her because between Benghazi and just a bunch of other stuff, she just seemed shady and she's just very, she's very hateable. Um, like similar to Trump for Democrats. And, but I was, I was still a Democrat at this time, but I still was like, I don't know, Hillary. I was like, this isn't, this doesn't, that's not right. That doesn't feel right. But I didn't vote. I didn't vote. I just let it rock and, and Trump won. Um, and then one thing that was really big for me kind of going on with like BLM and all the talk that you especially hear now uh, with people like LeBron and other wokesters who will share things about racism in America in 2020, in the 2020s. And I went on a deployment in 2017. So the next year, mid-year, I deployed, I deployed, deplore, deployed to uh, the old stand. I went to Afghanistan, flew in the Bagram. Did our thing there for about six months for me. It was a nine-month deployment, but I switched battalions midway through. So ended up only being there for six months. But man, did, was that the time where I really saw real poverty? I had been on four mission trips at that point in my life, three to the Dominican Republic, one to Nicaragua. And I had seen some real poverty in the DR, uh, some serious poverty in the DR. You know, when you travel on dirt road for like an hour and a half to get out to some village and you're out there and you're seeing stuff. But Man, I mean, it just Afghanistan hit me on a new level. And so I, I didn't really mention that, but the the DR trips really hit me a lot. Um in that I I remember seeing like the inner city and being in the hood as a kid. Uh I didn't live in I didn't grow up in the hood. I grew up in, you know, I would say a, a middle class suburb uh in a townhouse, like eleven hundred foot townhouse, my mom and my dad, my dog Bree, rest in peace to the legend. But I, uh, I had been like, man, like that's what poverty looks like. This is what real poverty looks like. Then you go to the DR and you drive on dirt roads for a hot minute and you're like, damn, this is what real poverty looks like. And this is on like a more global scale because you're in a different country, right? See some in Nicaragua. But then Afghanistan, man, Afghanistan was some next level stuff. We were out there in, in Jalalabad and we go even further to like the border of Pakistan. Um, and we were out there for a few weeks, you know, on the field and stuff. And you're seeing like the villagers kind of around you, like living their life or driving through Kabul and seeing the kids on the street, throwing rocks at our trucks, and all this stuff. And it's like, man, like these kids have like no chance. Like I know some successful people from the DR and I've met them, you see them playing sports and things like that. Right. Or, or they come and they become doctors. Like they, you know, Miami, New York, like they're filled with a lot of people from the DR. Sure, if you're in the Dominican Republic, you don't have a great chance of like being super successful, but they have a decent shot of getting out. Uh, it's still really difficult for sure. But I'm like, Afghanistan ain't got nothing. There is no escaping over the border, you know, legal immigration to, I mean, no, some, some for sure, but very, 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 very rarely, right? And you're seeing just this poverty that's like, man, these kids, 10 years old out here, like, 
you know, walking his cattle. And it's like, this dude has no shot, no shot. And then you hear what black people in America talk about as you're over here, like defending America. And you come back to somebody like LeBron or what was that dumbass on the Mets um, who cried like a baby on live TV after George Floyd got killed. Um, man, he cried like a baby. He looked like such a hoe. I forget what his name is. My man wept. The whole country was stopped for like three months talking about George Floyd and Derek Chauvin and racism and all this stuff. And he cried on live TV talking about nobody cares. It's just like nobody cares when we get killed. And I'm like, what the actual F are you talking about? It's been seven years where every time this happened, whether it was justified or not, the majority of society went in favor of the, the black man uh, who was killed. And we talked about it. They like changed things. They like, and we moved like greatly in the right direction. Uh, you're a multimillionaire playing baseball as a black man in this country, along with many other multimillionaire black athletes, black doctors, black lawyers, black business owners who've been successful here. Um, and to sit here and act like you're going to cry on national TV as an influential voice and tell other young black boys out there as people lied to me when I was a teenager and told me I couldn't make it, I couldn't do all these things. I can't even imagine how much more, how much better I would have done in life up to this point had I not believed that for so many years, that I didn't have a chance, that racism was going to hold me back, that white people were here to oppress me. So I get really frustrated to see those lies going out from people who can't actually believe that there's no way. LeBron saying he's scared to go outside. These just utter, it's propaganda. And so seeing that real poverty, oppression, and hopelessness was, was big for me. Like the talent, you want to see what oppression looks like, like watch the Taliban as they've taken over Afghanistan again in the last six months. That's oppression. Girls not being able to go to school. Homosexual people are killed if they come out. Christians are persecuted, sometimes killed, or just their lives destroyed. Uh, people of different religions that don't agree with them, you know, even different sects of Islam that don't agree with them, killed or their lives destroyed or food withheld and aid withheld from them. That's what oppression looks like. That's what hopelessness looks like. Uh, my life has never mirrored that as a black man in America. And I don't know anybody who's has. Um, and I think that one thing that I really failed to realize, this is, I think, a good point to kind of circle back to what I talked about and blaming racism for a lot of my familial issues with my dad or grandfather or his dad is something that a lot of white people, white liberals, I should say, fail to recognize as well. And that's uh, the freedom of choice. The freedom of choice, my guy. So you actually get to choose what you're going to do which is like a pretty big deal, right? So you have this, we obviously have like personal freedom. We have free will that God has given to us. And obviously in a lot of places with actual serious oppression, like the, like in China today, like in North Korea today, like in Venezuela today, um, not like in Florida or Georgia, uh, but in those countries, you see actual oppression taking place in Syria um, and many other countries around the world, uh, Somalia, you know, um, you, you, you have a limitation, like a lot of limitations to your choice, but my family, like we got to choose, like you get to choose what you do. And I see that with so many, even of the, my, my family members and friends and, and black people that I've known over the years, um, and white people that I've known, like 
and and women like everybody who kind of uses the victim cards like i the reason why i think they they do the whole like it's funny uh you know the, the that saying that i started with of if you're old and liberal you don't have a brain is because like you have life experience that proves this shit wrong right like it, it's it like leftism depends on ignorance to thrive and so as i started to learn and grow and be like Man, all these people who are blaming racism for their lives, like I watched you go to college and fail out and drop out of college because you wanted to smoke weed and party. I watched the, the kids, you know, whether basketball players or whatever, who I tried to coach and mentor when I was in college to be like, bro, like pull your pants up. Like we're not in the hood anymore. You don't have to do that. Like you can be a doctor now. You're at the same place as everybody else. You might not have had a dad. You might have had to deal with some racism in high school or something like that, but it doesn't like... Nobody here is looking down on you because you're black. You're making that up in your mind. You're segregating yourself. You're not getting involved in activities and things that are going to make your resume look strong. Like sometimes it's not even ignorance. Sometimes it's just people choosing to do things that are going to make them unsuccessful. And black and white people alike have done this. And this is one of the things that was really interesting about my dad, who is pretty hard Democrat and in most ways today and always has been, is he never bought into like BLM and like racism being super prevalent. And my dad dealt with a lot of racism in his life. He's been married to two different white women in his lifetime. He was born in 1952. Um, so growing up in the fifties and sixties, I mean, we're talking like segregation. My grandmother, his mother grew up in Georgia. She was born in 19, uh, I want to say like 39 or 40, something like that. Maybe, maybe before that, maybe it was like the 35, somewhere in that range though grew up in Georgia like that's racism and they saw some serious stuff then I saw our their descendants my my grandfather or my my dad's grandkids and me and my siblings and stuff like you blaming racism like they escaped all that and you're blaming racism I started listening when I was in college to to Eric Thomas and he talked about this he's like you know our our ancestors endured slavery and you can't get up for an 8 a.m they endured slavery. They got fire hose. They got dogs sicked on them just to get you the right to vote, get you the right to be able to go to college. You can't get up for an 8 a.m. You can't study. You can't stop chasing girls and, and, and stop, you know, watching TV and playing video games to study. Be, and, and our ancestors survived slavery. Like that kind of stuff just got to me, man. I started listening to these motivational speakers, Les Brown and Eric Thomas and these black motivational speakers and um, uh, Inky Johnson. And, and like, I'm like, none of the stuff they're talking about is being a victim or excuses. Like in one of my favorite talks, UOU by Eric Thomas, he talks about, yeah, racism exists. It's probably going to exist till the day I die. I'm still going to be a millionaire. I'm still going to be successful. I'm still going to chase my dreams. Like that was the mindset I started to adopt of, yeah, man, maybe some people will be racist in the infantry, but I feel like I need to go get my ranger tap. And yeah, maybe I'll be the only black person in my platoon, but who cares? Maybe I can go and represent and show them what I'm worth, show them what we can do and be the difference. And some people just want to sit on the sidelines and complain. And these are the same people who then tell you that, or tell me that I'm not black enough. I'm not, you know, I'm too white. I talk too white. I do all these things. And it's like, dude, no. Like you just, you just need to step up and really be willing to commit yourself to, to pursuing greatness. So it's, it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing to balance the fact that like, yeah, there's been some real effects from redlining and from racism and segregation and, from uh, slavery and things like that that impact people today. But I still be, believe the number one thing that people need fix is their ignorance, right? Because like the idea of reparations to me is so stupid because of the fact that uh, 
you know, or uh, not just reparations, but um, affirmative action too, and in the ways that it's executed a lot of times. Like reparations, giving people more money. If you gave many, many people that I know, white or black, more money, they wouldn't be more wealthy in 40 years because of it. And so you have to be educated and you have to educate yourself a lot of times and not expect the government or somebody else to solve your problems for you. You have to do it, take, take it ownership of your life, right? That's why I talk about ownership and seeking excellence. And when you do that, then when you do get advantages and you do get ahead and we all have advantages and disadvantages, then you can start to succeed. And when you can look at life on a global scale and think of, I'd much rather be a black person in America in 2021 than anybody in Afghanistan in 2021, anybody in Venezuela, anybody in China, anybody in North Korea, you realize how many advantages you have. I mean, what is it like if you're in the, the upper part of the lower class today, you're like one of the wealthiest people that ever lived living in the United States, the things we get to experience, the travel, uh, the food that we eat, like all these things that people in, in the, the grand scheme of history, when slavery was rampant, not just in the United States, but it's been a practice for thousands and thousands of years. You know, like the lives that people live, the life expectancy and all this stuff, man, it's crazy the way we get to live with police and democracy and all this. I mean, it's wild, man. Like we're so blessed to live in this time. And when you know history and you take ownership of your life and you start to see differences as I did in my life, when I stopped blaming racism and actually started to do my homework, I got good grades. Even the teachers that didn't like me would still like give me good grades. I remember Dr. Hanson, the one who was super, super left, and we disagreed on a ton of things. At the end of the year, my one paper project presentation that I did, he said was the best in the class. Ironically, it was on Pope Francis. One, uh, I think it was the joy of the gospel. And he said he loved it. It was his favorite one because it was the one that was that the person who presented it was most passionate about because I picked something that I really cared about, which is the church. So all of this leads up to, so this, you can kind of see I'm getting primed at this point, right? Like I, I'm starting to question stuff and I'm, I'm kind of being like, some of this stuff is stupid. But dude, then I had one life-changing event. And this was really good to kind of go through all of this because I really have told people that this is where the journey began. But that's not true. This is actually uh, kind of like, this is just to kind of like lock in, like kick it into exit, like overdrive, right? And so I'm actually going to decide to break this up because we're so deep into this episode that I'm going to actually break this up uh, into two parts. And so we're going to do two different parts to this one. So I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, thank you for tuning into Seeking Excellence podcast today. Um, look out for part two. It'll be coming out. In just a few days, um, I, I have to adjust my schedule a little bit now that I'm going to do this into two parts. But man, I got so much stuff to share in the second half of this. I'm like, I can't, I can't justifiably do another 90 minute one um, when I could just break it into two. So I'm going to break this down a little bit for you, make it a little shorter. Um, I hope you tune in for part two. Every time I do a two part series, I'm like, man, the, the best part is always in the second part and it always gets less listened. So I highly encourage you to look out. Uh, subscribe even just for for the next week just so you can get the update on when part two comes out because this is really when it like really takes off and, and really gets deep so um yeah i remember we did the same thing man emily and i did our uh instagram to engagement series and like part one got like 300 more plays or something like than part two i think part one had like 1200 uh downloads and part two only had like eight or nine hundred and i'm like man we were so negative in part one like we actually we love each other we fell in love like that's the end of the story <laughs> Um, it's obviously at the end of the story, but it was like, that's part two. So 
dude, I'm, I'm going to talk about some good stuff here in part two. So definitely tune in. I'm about to record it right now. So it's going to be very fluid uh, and continuous. But um, thanks for tuning in today. As I said, highly encourage you to sign up for Catholic Votes, The Loop. Um, link will be in this uh, episode show notes for you to do that. Um, and yeah, if this is helpful for you, share it with somebody, talk about these things um, and, and kind of start to write out or just kind of think about your own journey and what you think about your, your views on things. Um, because I think it's really important that we do that. So highly encourage you to do that. Um, thanks for tuning in and God bless.